Oh, well, everybody, welcome to the Brain Boggled Podcast. And before welcome, we get welcome. started today, uh, I think, Brent, you wanted to give a little update on the situation going on, right? Yeah, I, I, I figured as, you know, this every, the world events are unfolding as they do, I'd take a minute at the top of each episode just to sort of, like, give a little update as to what's happening for people who, I guess, want to hear it, but also just to kind of, like, keep it in, you know, everyone's thoughts because, you know, this is an uphill battle to get the changes that we need to get done as far as police brutality and, you know, militarization of our police forces go. So I just wanted to take a second to uh, address some stuff that's changed, I guess, over the, I don't know, what has it been a week since we last talked about it? I don't know. Two Time days. is yeah. so nebulous <laughs> now. But, um, yeah, so... um. I guess a couple of things. First thing I would say is for everyone who's out there, you know, who's been protesting and donating and taking the time to educate yourselves, you know, awesome. Keep it up because we're already seeing that it's working, you know, like it's taking time, but we've already seen some things come out of this. You know, the cops who were involved in the George Floyd murder have all been charged. And the one in particular cop who had his knee on the back of his neck has been upgraded to second degree murder, which... I think is probably the best outcome anyone could have hoped for as far as that one particular situation goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's been some talk about people wanting it to be upgraded to first degree, but I um, think like objectively, I don't even think it would be first. I just don't think it'd be provable enough because of the whole premeditation. The premeditation part of it just makes it so much easier for him to get acquitted that I feel like second degree is the best um, outcome of all this, plus the other three cops being charged is great. All good stuff. The Breonna Taylor case has been reopened. So that's great because to this point, nothing has happened in that case. You know, she, in case you didn't know, she was the woman who was asleep in her home when a bunch of um, undercover cops broke into her house, <laughs> shot her to death in her bed because they got the, because they mis- had the wrong yeah, house. They oh. were doing so, a raid or something. Yeah. And so. Like, you know, and I mean, there have been a number of other stories like this, but the protests are working in that respect. And, you know, the budget for the LAPD has been taking like $150 million out of it to put towards black communities. So yeah, like, I saw that progress. Progress is happening, but obviously, like not enough has happened yet. So like uh, we need to keep that fight going, need to keep pushing that stuff out there. Keep your but foot also, on the gas what, pedal, people. Definitely. But one other thing I wanted to talk about just real briefly about just like as being allies this is something i've seen a little bit recently because you know obviously everything's happening so fast and people are trying to make their voices heard in every way they can and sometimes people have maybe done that in ways that are slightly misguided and when it's been called out have not responded well to it Hmm. so like in particular the you know there was that thing going around of you know the blackout tuesday which is, I'll admit, is something I participated in. But the downside of something like that is that, one, the silence or trying to like this, it was really more of just like people trying to make a statement, but it doesn't really help, you know, when a lot of what it was doing was it was actually making it harder for people to find like information to support Black Lives Matter for people who needed information yeah. because it was kind of gumming up the works. It's silencing by filling everyone's people. feed with. And as, yeah, in a way, it actually kind of backfires and silences since social media is such a huge part of like how 
we all communicate and organize. So I wonder who started it. Sometimes I wonder if it was like started by someone in order to fill up people's timelines with nothing. Yeah, but maybe. I mean, there's that mm. possibly that, but I also think people are like trying to like find ways to speak out about it. And this one in particular was maybe just a little bit misguided. And unfortunately, some of the response I saw from people who, you know, are trying to be allies were to be angry when people called them out and said, this is actually doesn't help. And their response was to be like, well, I'm trying to do something, so I don't know why you're, like, getting mad at me. And I think it's important as allies in this movement, and I guess this is speaking mainly to our, the, the white people who are listening to this, you know, obviously people of color and black people who listen to this, you know. It, you, we're, we're here to, like, as, you know, people who are not, have not experienced these things, you know, who are learning about it from the experiences of our, you know, black and people of color, you know, people in our community, it's important to listen. Listening is such a huge part of being an ally. Mm. And even if you do something that is misguided and you make a mistake, when people tell you you're doing that, don't get mad. Don't take it personally. Listen to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Take that in and acknowledge like, okay, I guess I was wrong on this one. I'll learn going forward. Yeah. And that's the best thing you can do in yeah. these situations because we're a lot of us are learning. Like this is something for, you know, again, as the podcast of three white guys who are trying to be allies <laughs> here, you know, yeah. this is something we've been have the privilege of having not having to really experience in our lives. And so now that we're being woken up to it and are out here trying to do our best to help, we're, we're going to make missteps along the way. And you need to be open to hearing when you do that so that you can grow from it and be a better ally, a better supporter, yeah. and better at fighting for what we're all fighting for. Yeah. So I just wanted to take a second to talk about that, because I've just been seeing a, a lot of that going around from people who are like, well, I'm trying to help, but getting mad rather than yeah. sort of taking it to heart, yeah. what people are trying to tell yeah. them. You know and what I mean? That's true about about anything, is that I, like right. listening, listening is the first step to understanding any situation especially something like this where yes you really need to be listening to um to everyone that's right. that, that is involved in, in in these sort of events especially around um issues that pertain to specific groups that you know as brent said us being white people uh we can't really understand that unless we start listening to people who have gone through things like this exactly yeah. And so I just wanted to take a second to address that. So, like, if you find yourself, you know, making a misstep, like, like again, I said I did the Blackout Tuesday thing, and then I later went and deleted that post because I was like, you know what, this doesn't actually help right now. And even though I made that mistake, I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm not an ally. It just means listening to the people telling me that you're making a mistake and doing something about it. Yeah. That's you know the important thing here. So, or even one good way to fight against that was filling the black screen with information that helps people you know directs people in exactly. the right direction and exactly so again one last time you know like our last episode i'm going to shout out the, the website blacklivesmatters.card.co and that's card with two r's so go check that out you know we have a post with the links to that um i have it in my own personal social media feeds you know whatever just go check that out there's tons of great resources there including resources to educate yourself on these topics so i've been going through trying to read as much as i can of that i suggest you do as well and so. what's really cool about that as well just to wrap it up is you know if there's anyone out there who feels that they believe in this and they have a hard time uh sort of 
arguing or not really arguing, but like debating with people to try and like help other people understand what, what's happening and educate other people there in, in the resources that you shared, Brent, there are some really great sort of rebuttal points to a lot of uh, things that are brought up by other parties. So if you're like me and you have a hard time kind of making a point, this can really help understand and, and give you some, um, some like, you know, information that you can use to help educate other people. So exactly. All right. So great. All right, boys. So to move on with the episode, I think first I should tell everybody what we're talking about today. That is Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. So let's introduce (laughs) ourselves real quick before we get into this ep. I am your bumble butt B, Bubba. <laughs> bumble? Is this going to get it? Are we going to get an explanation? Yeah. I'll give you an explanation. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to keep listening. Um, mm. I got one. Uh, okay. I am your uh, Jack the Ripper J. Uh, Jack. <laughs> nice. You have um, definitely never done that one before. Have I? I feel like I have done this one before. You definitely have. When we've talked to, oh yeah, I every time we just talk about serial killers, I <laughs> I use that one. Yeah, and then I am your beheaded bee. Brent. Ooh, that one I that one I wow. think it has never been used before. Yeah, well, neither has like uh, whatever Bobby said. Buff something. What bumblebutt? Bumblebutt. Bumblebutt. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, guess yeah. I'll give a quick explanation for that, just for those who, of you who are confused. Um. So Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, was, uh, and we'll we'll get into his whole life story. But basically, he was a very massive lad. He was a big dude. Um, massive lad. He was he was a serial the most killer. Massive of lads. For anyone who doesn't know who he is, he was a serial killer, and we'll be talking all about him. But he was like a three hundred pound, six foot nine man, and he was really large. And so he called himself a big old bumble butt. Um, that's we oh he called himself it i was hoping yeah. he well i mean well, hoping a, is a weird word to the, use for it but i was hoping <laughs> that um he would get like bullied in school there's there's a lot of different they would call like that. uh explanations for it because there's actually not a ton of information on this specific part but um he did get have a nickname where he was called big ed and because i believe he wanted to be a police officer and so the other cadets called him big ed um and so it's kind of some people don't know if he coined the term bumble butt or if other people did. And then he just kind of like accepted it. But yeah, he was a big dude and um, he was, he was kind of a klutz, a little bit of a, a bumble butt. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Right. Yeah. I guess so. So let's get into the story of Ed Kemper. If you don't know Ed Kemper, you might know him from the show Mindhunter, which is a popular show on Netflix, mm-hmm. which, which I have not seen me and Brent talk about it all the time because it was a yeah. really, really good show. Jack. I definitely enjoyed the show. I um, have many shows to watch. <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's coming back for a third oh, it's, season. It's done. Which it's, is a, it's officially done, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which is a bummer because it was a good show, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's got Kristoff from Frozen as the lead character, Holden. Yeah. What? No way. That's actually yeah. really funny. Yeah, and he's awesome. And so basically... And he, was also in, he was also in Hamilton as uh, King George III. He was the, origi- oh. the original stage production. He is my he was, favorite actor for sure. I thought Jonathan Groff was the original one. He is. That's Jonathan Groff is the guy. Oh, from that him. is him. Yeah, it's him. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know celebrity. That's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought Elijah Wood was the guy, but uh, sorry, Spike. Shout out to Ben. 
<clears throat> oh. Yeah. It's a Spy Kids 3 reference. Sorry, Spy Kids 3D. Of course it is. Spy Kids of 3D, not is. Spy Kids. Spy Kids 3D. Okay, this is this is a hot take. This is a hot take. You sound like but Ben Jack. Hit me with it. Spot takes uh, Spy Kids 3D is like it's like the best one because it's the most absurd. Although the second one where they the second one where they go to the island is pretty good too. Um, That's the best one. But it has no, dude, because no, because the third one is just so absurd. Like they just stopped caring about everything in the third one, and they were just like, "Screw yeah. it, we're just gonna do whatever we want." Although I do love the fact that do you think God stays in heaven because <laughs> he's scared of his creations? I love <laughs> that that is a quote from Spy Kids. Yeah, it's Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi says that he's, he has what? a God because, complex. Well, because That's... I don't know if you, have you ever seen Spy Kids two, Brent. I haven't seen any of them. Okay, so in the second one, Steve Buscemi is this scientist who has made hybrid animals and let them loose on this island. But he like lives, Doctor Moreau. Basically, he lives in this in this volcano. Um, he lives in a volcano like bunker type thing where he's protected from all of these animals because he's afraid yeah. of them. And he and and when he was explaining this to Carmen, he goes, "Do you think God too?" Stay? He says, "God too." He says, "Do you think God too stays in heaven for because he's afraid of what he's created?" Yeah, because it, he's it God is, one. No, God two is I'm in kidding. God as well. That's such, that's such a heavy thing. For I know. And they it was and like it's one of those series. it's one of those things where you think that like oh well obviously they took it from somewhere else, but I don't think they did. No, that's just Steve Buscemi fucking Buscemiing it up. Yeah, that right? wasn't even part of the script. <laughs> oh, man, good movie series. But where was that? What was the point I was making with that? The um, guy. You were making a oh, joke. Oh, the guy. I'm so sorry. We got so off topic, gang. <laughs> so, anyway, what we were talking Back about was uh, we were talking about the show Mindhunter. And so. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great show. In the show. Um, so, Holden, the main character, is basically plays a. Is it CIA or FBI, Brent? He's an FBI agent. He's an part FBI of the, um... agent who is um, he's trying to just he's trying to research criminal minds, and basically, Brent, you could probably explain it better. Yeah, well, it's funny you said criminal minds because that show, it the TV show, like the CBS show or whatever yeah. it is, Criminal Minds, is about the uh, branch of the FBI that um, this character formed. That's probably why I thought about in it the, in the '70s. He formed the uh, Behavioral Investigation Unit of mm. that's the it. FBI. That's the one. So basically, they're so their basically whole spiel was that by studying people who have committed you know mass murders or serial killers, that they could develop a uh, profiling to sort of like establish certain traits for certain pe- killers and use that as a way to um sort of potentially sort of learn get instead of sort of inside the heads yeah, of killers and sort of stop them by using their sort of their footprints or patterns against them exactly. yeah because before this didn't they they didn't really like care about like the quote unquote why serial killers were doing it, right? Well, like obviously they would they were looking for a motive, mm-hmm. but they weren't really mm-hmm. trying to understand a serial killer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they weren't they, they were didn't just, really have they didn't really like get that there was a possibility that these people could be profiled. It was basically like, oh like oh they kill they're people because ju- they're crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just a random mm-hmm. act. It's not anything that you can calculate. It turns out mm-hmm. there actually are a lot of things that you can 
uh, calculate, and you can put people into these categories so you can. Yeah, possibly serial predict killing is very formulaic. Turns out, right? And so, basically, and uh, just before I let you get too far ahead, I misspoke before. It's a behavioral science unit, okay. not behavioral investigation. I just wanted to clear that out before mm. people start screaming <laughs> into their iPhones. You know, they we never are. claim to be experts. <laughs> That's yeah, true. No, sorry. It's I kind just, of our whole thing. <laughs> <spoke> there. <laughs> so yeah. basically anyway. in the show, they have the behavioral science unit and they are trying to uh, interview different serial killers and murderers and criminals who are in prison who have gone through this and been captured to try and dig into their brains and figure out why they did what they did. And so in the show, they uh, hold in the main character begins speaking to a man named Ed Kemper. And he was known as the co-ed killer because he went around college campuses and picked up hitchhiking girls and murdered them and raped their dead bodies. Spoiler alert. Um, Yikes. It's pretty messed up. And so in the show, the uh, the actor who plays Ed Kemper does a fantastic job of Mm. basically encapsulating this guy's personality. Um, it's it's amazing how horrifying he is because he I, sounds um, so normal the way he talks about oh. killing these people. Um, yeah, I quickly like flipped through the slideshow mm-hmm. um, and saw because I've seen clips from Mindhunters before with this character. Mm-hmm. Is the character's mm-hmm. name in the show Ed Kemper? No, it's like a slightly yeah, different. It is. Right? Yeah, oh, it is. The funny thing the funny thing about the show is the criminals they interview all of them the names are of, are of the actual people, whereas like the investigators themselves are like more they're not they're based on real people but it's you know different names different characterization more dramatized you know i mean i guess they're not really afraid of like a a defamation case or um like uh what is it called when libel libel yeah Yeah. or like getting something wrong where people would actually care because like I don't know, like I, you know, like a serial killer, like people, like a serial killer's family. No one's going to be like, hey, "Oh my, you put you put this, you put Ed Kemper in a bad light." Mm-hmm. Well, you it's know, funny you bring that up because no, his family actually is uh, part of the victims. They really didn't like him. Um, well, they really couldn't like him because uh, you know they were killed by him. So I think we should get into that the story. Such a, such a weird yeah. way to phrase that. I know. Bob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's get into this story because it's it's oof, it's beefy. All right. So this let's is the life it. of Ed Kemper. Sink our co- teeth into his beefy boy. Literally, the bumbly boy. <laughs> this is the story of Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. So if you'll go right, to the right, slideshow, right. we'll we'll start at our first slide. All right. Edmund Kemper was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank. Doesn't even have the good Ed name. <laughs> I know, right? He was born. Wait, what's the good Ed name? Edward? Edward. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wonder if there's any other Ed names. But anyway, there's um Edwin. Oh, Edwin. Edwin. There was Edmund. another one that I, oh, wait, that I had one. thought. Edgar. 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 That was the one. Edgar. Yeah. It's such Edgar's a good pretty good. All great Ed names. Yeah. yeah. So basically this said Ed, Edmund was born in. Burbank, California, and Mm. he was the middle child of Edmund and Clarnell Kemper. My God, Clarnell. That's Clarnell. That's his mother's name, Clarnell. Just a family of weird names, dude. Right? No wonder he's the way he is. King. So after his parents' divorce in 1957, (laughs) he moved with his mother and his two sisters to Montana. 
Kemper had a difficult relationship with his alcoholic mother, as she was very oh, critical of him. Sense. Yeah, not good, right? Well, he, both, both the I, I genuinely when you said he was born in California, I genuinely was surprised that he was a serial killer. And in my head, I was like, I was expecting him to be from the Midwest, and then he moves <laughs> to Montana. So, oh man, so he basically blamed his uh, mother for all his problems. So we got a very early kind of mother uh, hatred thing going on. When he was just 10 years old, she forced him to live in the basement away from his sisters, whom she feared he might harm in some way. Well, well, she was not wrong. Right. He would basically, uh, well, he he had a lot of signs of trouble at a very early age. So, and and Kemper admitted a lot of this later in life, too. He, when he was uh, finally captured, he had a lot of interviews. And he, as a child, had a very dark fantasy life, sometimes dreaming about killing his mom. Um, and he would cut the heads off his sister's dolls and even coerce the girls into playing a game he liked to call Gas Chamber. Which, no! Which he had them blindfolded. Uh, so he actually had them blindfold him and lead oh, him into what? a chair where he pretended to writhe in agony until he died. So that's not a game. That's well, just weird. Hey, Where's the game? How hey, is the game? Hey, sis, you want to play a uh, gas chamber? Would sure. you like to play a game? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate Saw. Real talk. I oh, hate I would Saw. never watch yes. Saw. I watched the first one and literally called the ending of the movie 10 minutes into it. What? I was in a, I was watching, we were at a friend's house. This was friends in high school. When it, uh, and I was watching it with a bunch of people who had already seen it. I was like one of two people who hadn't seen it yet. And 10 minutes into the movie, I was like, watch this guy just laying down in the middle of the room, just get up and walk out at the end of this <laughs> movie. And then sure enough, at the end of that movie, I guess, spoilers for the yeah, first song. Spoiler alert, dude. Brent. <laughs> the dude who's laying dead in the middle of the room the whole movie gets up, walks out. He's the, the freaking saw war player game, dude, the whole time. War player yeah. game, dude. Well, because like yeah. Jigsaw, whatever the hell he's called. I mean, I guess they don't really explain anything over the course of the movie until the end. But like looking at the way that the rest of the movie is structured, there being an unexplained dead body in the middle is like really weird. Even like in the context of the movie. I just remember when I was like in, I don't know, like, I don't know, maybe sixth grade or something. Someone told me that they watched a movie called saw something one, two or three where a guy has like things locked to his rib cage. And if he doesn't like pull a key out of his throat, or something then the the machine is going to rip him open and it just um, this, well, it horrified me first off it was a woman who was in okay. the machine Oof. second off she needed to get a key that was at the bo- bottom of a jar of acid okay um and so i remember a fun it, fact yeah, go. about that specific trap is it what well, i hate saw but i'm like How do you know we so actually much? talked we well I'll, we talked about this in our Junji Ito deconstruction of horror episode uh. um because there's the gruesome fascination which is like I hate it but like I need to understand it um it's like um bird box you can't look away yeah. so that trap wasn't actually made by Jigsaw himself it was made by a copycat killer who the cuz the main thing about all of Jigsaw's traps is that there's a way to get out 
Um, okay. You can always you can always beat them, but that specific trap, she does get the key. Um, but the trap kills her anyway because oh. it was a copycat. False advertising. Who didn't who didn't care? She just wanted to kill people and make it look like it was Jigsaw. I just want to see like the little puppet like explaining like it's about the principle. You have to have a way out, otherwise it's not well, no, the point of the he, game. He the puppet doesn't explain that. Um, Topher Grace, who is I forget the I forget Jigsaw's real name. Topher Grace is the actor. Who, no, it's not Topher. His name is Topher something. Topher Grace. It's not that. Topher Grace is, is it from that seventy show. Is, no, 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 no. Okay, that's I Topher misspoke. Grace. His name is his name is Topher something. Yeah, we all saw um, what happened when Topher Grace was a villain. Didn't work out. Yeah. But Jigsaw in the movies explains it all the time. He's like, I'm not a murderer uh, because um, I don't kill anyone. They kill themselves when they fail to, to solve the, the, the test. And everyone's like, OK, but you see how that's not really <laughs> fair. Whatever makes you still, sleep at night, Jigsaw. That's, that's still murder. You understand that, right? Well, <laughs> like, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's kind of when if you listen to some of Ed Kemper's interviews, he kind of has this sort of thing where. He feel you can almost get the sense that he feels like he's um, writing his wrongs by admitting to what he did and giving the police information. Almost mm. like it's sort of putting him in the right. It's very strange, but is we'll he get still to that alive? Later. He is still alive, actually. Oh, shit. OK, so this part gets kind of crazy. So let's go back to his childhood. This is he's he's still a young child and he's he, play, he plays gas. Chamber. He's playing gas chamber. <laughs> So the first victims that he ever killed, the first victims, were his family cats. So at 10... It always is. It always is, right? At 10, he buried one of them alive, which is horrendous. And the second one... Do you think he... What? What did he do with the second one? The second one... Mike and wait. Kemper slaughtered with a knife. Ooh. Mm. I was going to say, do you think it's always because it's always seems to be cats like you always hear it's mm. pets, but like I always hear specifically cats. There's a reason and for like, this one, actually. So uh, as we'll learn as we go on with this, you know, Ed already you can tell Ed had a, a hatred for his mother and his mom always had this sort of uh, thing where women were too good for Ed. So like, she would always be like, Oh, she's too good for you. You know, like you'll never get a girl. That's Oh yeah. Like a perfect, like the Hollywood version of like a perfect girlfriend. The one, the one, because you're a weirdo and like, you're, you know, you remind me of your father. You're just a, like a dick. Um, and so some psychologists think that the reason he killed the cats was because, uh, cats are kind of seen as a more feminine animal. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, do you yeah. think it's because cats are more feminine and dogs are seen as more masculine? So it's always usually cats. If there's a complex for for like female murderers and notice a lot of serial killers, victims are female. Um, yeah, serial killers yeah. male. That's a, it's it's not the case for every serial killer, but it's pretty common. But the vast majority of them. Yeah, I do wonder how many of those ones killed cats. You know, if you for, like yeah. Yeah, it's really, yeah. Uh, well, you always hear I'm glad like you brought we'll, that up because we'll, I kind of forgot to put it in my uh, my. Jokes. Yeah, I, that that's so funny. Um, well, because like I don't know if either of you have seen. I think Bobby, you might have seen "Don't Fuck with Cats" on Netflix. Oh, I, I saw that. Oh, yeah, Brent, yeah, yeah. Brent, yeah you saw um, that. 
Wait, so uh, have you seen it, Bobby? You know, no, I haven't seen it. Oh, all right, I had you guys backwards. Um, but um, yeah, he starts out by torturing cats, and um, yeah. at the beginning of that documentary, they talk quickly about how like like there's there's there the number one rule on the internet is is don't mess with cats. Yep, um, because everyone loves them, um, and so I wonder if well, I guess not because. During like the, I mean, golden era of um, serial killers, you know, in the uh, in the sixties, seventies, eighties, that whole, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. Sort of. Like there was when... no like internet uh, cat culture. There was no like cat worship at that time. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if I don't know. I just wonder what that has done. Mm. In terms it's of an interesting like point, very interesting. Well, we 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 could do an episode on don't fuck with cats. That would be that would be kind of fun because it's a that it's on that, the list. Yeah, we did. It's we a did put it on the wild list. ride that documentary, mm-hmm. Bobby. You should totally wow. watch it. But um, yeah, I'll check. You it out. can tell that the dude who is killing these cats is doing it partially um because of the internet's outcry for what he's doing. Mm. Like he like he it's like he's enjoying the fact that the internet hates so much that he's getting rid of cats messed up messed yeah. up yeah if you, if you kill a cat that's even that part of tiger king was so hard to to watch like the fact that they bring the tigers out and put them down if there's just too many of them like you're the ones breeding yeah. them come on people yeah anyway um <laughs> so yeah ed, ed would uh you know he would kill cats the family cats and so this was obviously um troubling to the to his mother so she sent <laughs> yeah. him to live with his father for a while. Or I don't know if she sent him or if he left, but he ended up back with his mother over a period of time. And she hated him so much that she was like, okay, you know what? This kid's too troubled. I'm going to send him to um, the his paternal grandparents. And paternal mm-hmm. is the father's parents, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. So... Jack, here's another little surprise. They sent him to live with his grandparents in North Folk, North Fork, California. California. So he's yeah, back. but at this point, at this point though, like his formative years, and he's already <laughs> been some through so much trauma in the Midwest. Right. I got nothing against the Midwest. I don't know why. I don't know where this came <laughs> from. But I just like I just got the vibe that he that's where he was from you know you you, you know what listen up we're putting you on notice yeah, midwest yeah midwest <laughs> you no up. i love the midwest i love colorado well I know, I, i'm just kidding colorado's beautiful the rest of the midwest uh, is is irrelevant <laughs> we love you midwest because we have listeners everywhere um tell us you know what right into the show and tell us why the midwest tell us why we're wrong Tell us why the man tell us why, it's, it's tell us why you're not a bunch of murderers. <laughs> yeah. Why you're uh, why you're A not serial killers and B why you guys are relevant. All right. Thank so you. so if you guys at will podcast at gmail.com. If you guys will, we're gonna go to the next slide now. Yeah. So the next section of this story is Ed's grandparents. So Ed was sent to live with his, his father's parents, and he hated living on their farm. So before going to North Fork, he already begun learning about firearms, but his grandparents took away his rifle after he killed several birds and other small animals. He must yeah. have killed a mockingbird. 
Probably mm. not a great, uh, but not a great sign. Um, if you're the grandparents, you're like, oh, yeah. So first they sent this kid to us because they couldn't handle him, and now he's shooting all the animals around here. Okay. Yeah. So this is where it gets a little dark. So on August twenty seventh, nineteen sixty four. Kemper finally turned his building rage on his grandparents. The 15-year-old boy shot his grandmother in the kitchen after an argument. And I guess he shot her from behind while she was reading a children's book that she wrote. So he just... he a came weird in, little fact. Yeah, he came into the room and shot her in the back of the head. 15. Yikes. 15. And... When his grandfather returned home, Kemper went outside and shot him by his car and then hid the body. So you might be thinking, okay, like why, why did he do this? Well, we already know he was kind of mad at his grandparents for sort of taking away his guns and he didn't really like how they were kind of raising him. So Ed actually called his mother after this and the mother told him to call the police and tell them what happened. Later, Kemper would say that that he shot his grandmother to see what it felt like, which is just creepy AF. Seems very serial killer, <laughs> right? Ish. So yeah. then, then the reason he killed his mm. grandfather was so that the man wouldn't have to walk in and find out that his wife had been murdered. So already, he's kind of justifying his crimes as acts of sort of like, oh, I was protecting yeah. my grandfather from seeing this horrible scene. He's got weird motives, man. Right? Yeah, so imagine that. Like, he's like, oh, well, obviously, I don't want my grandfather to see my dead grandmother on her little children's book. Yeah, so I'm going to kill him as well. Yeah, and so I guess that's his version of mercy. I don't know. So, obviously, the poli- he called the police, and for his crimes, Kemper was handed over to the California Youth Authority where he underwent a variety of tests, which determined that he had a very high IQ, but also suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. And I know we've sort of talked about um, schizophrenia before, and it's kind of a a really long thing that I don't want to sum up too quickly, but basically I'll kind of read the definition for anyone who doesn't know. Paranoid schizophrenia is characterized by predominantly positive symptoms of schizophrenia, including delusions and hallucinations. So these debilitating symptoms blur the line between what's real and what isn't, making it difficult for the person to lead a typical life. But the strange thing about Ed Kemper was that he didn't have any issues dividing reality from delusion. He was actually a very keen and calculated person. So a lot of uh, people think that he was misdiagnosed. Um... And he actually was reevaluated at a different hospital at the uh, Atascardero State Hospital um, as being um, a having psychotic tendencies, basically. Hmm. So he was actually more likely to be like uh, a psychopath, like actual. Mm-hmm. Or a sociopath, yeah, not, maybe not in like not like in the pejorative sense, but in the, like the literal yeah. actual sense. Might be What's the actual sociopath? the actual definition of a psychopath and a sociopath? Because one, a psychopath can't feel human emotion, and a sociopath has learned to emulate it. Right, right. I'm, I'm actually um, looking I, it up right I, now. 
I can't really say if that's 100% accurate or not. Um, we should definitely yeah, look Bobby's, into that. Bobby's going to think so, pulling that So up. this is just a, a quick little thing that comes up with Google. is, is uh, It basically is saying which is worse, psychopath or sociopath, which obviously is debatable whether there's one that's worse or not. Yeah. Um, but this definition says psychopaths are usually deemed more dangerous than sociopaths because they show no remorse for their actions due to their lack of empathy. So you're kind of right, Jack. Basically, psychopaths have no empathy and sociopaths are able to imitate empathy or uh, portray it in some way that other people understand. So I think it actually was that Ed Kemper is a sociopath um, because he does display empathy in a, in a really strange way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Kemper was sent to this other state hospital, uh, a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. So let's go to the next slide. And by the way, if you want to uh, follow along at home or check out these pictures after, I'll have them up on the uh, brainboggledpodcast.com. And you can check them out on the brainboggled Brain bloggled. Brain blog. Those are really cool pictures, some of them. So yeah. this next one that we're looking at is uh, Ed Kemper sitting at uh, a desk of one of the doctors at the facility. Why does he have a name tag? Because like name this thing. is part of the weird thing with Ed Kemper is that he was actually weirdly uh, very charismatic and strangely likable. So a lot of the uh, doctors at this facility actually really liked Ed and they trusted him. So this kind of goes they, and they know they knew that he killed his grandparents. Yeah. Yeah, and they they felt that, you know, yeah. as he progressed through, he he realized why he did it and that it was wrong. And so basically, um, due to his incredibly high IQ and pleasant demeanor, he d- he managed to manipulate the hospital staff to allow him access to assessment devices. He memorized the responses that were used in assessment processes and fixed his own psychiatric results in his favor. What? Yeah, this guy was this- really smart. This guy's a freaking genius. So on his 21st birthday, which was only six years after he killed his grandparents, he was released from the hospital with a clean mental health record and was no longer required to return for further monitoring. Wait, so he's younger than 21 in this picture? Yeah, he, he was 15 when he went into the hospital and he left it at 21. At 21. So, so this must have been taken somewhere in between there. The dude looks like he's 35. Well, honestly, like... Obviously, he ended up back in uh, prison, so it is possible that this image could have been from a different time. Yeah, I mean, but this is like he's a free man at his desk with his freaking nameplate. Nameplate, right? Yeah, Ed Kemper. Yeah, I'm pretty this sure he like so assisted the, the hospital staff with things because they trusted him so much. That's very strange. Yeah, so Kemper was a free man um, at his 21st birthday, which is you know legal drinking age. Woohoo! imagine letting this kid go out to bars like oh man like this murderer anyway yeah weird so despite his prison doctor's recommendation that he shouldn't live with his mother because of her past abuse and psychological issues involving her uh he rejoined her in santa cruz california so i think he like weirdly wanted to be around her even though he like hated her uh, it was a well, weird kind of codependent relationship type thing yeah that is really that is really weird well i think there's got to be something there like 
maybe he considered his mother to be because like arguably his mom played a big part in him killing his grandparents the way that he was raised and yeah i i, I mean obviously he let he enjoyed the way it felt to kill right so maybe he has this weird correlation with that feeling in his mother because she was the one who 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 started his desire to kill maybe yeah. well it's interesting that she would allow him to live with her after like you know it's like well it wasn't her it wasn't her parents it's that's true maybe she hated them i don't know maybe Strange. after 6 years and uh, the doctor's reports and stuff like that maybe she was like okay maybe he has changed well i mean if you see the tests that were rigged then i mean anyone could be yeah. like oh he's normal now he didn't yeah you know all, all these tests that <laughs> but but think about this though the fact that the um criminal profiling didn't even exist yet so this is a, a time period where it was probably much easier to rig oh yeah tests true. to say that i'm not crazy you know I saw a um a TED talk where somebody was um somebody was uh, uh talking to psychopaths and figuring out if um it was he he was he was talking to a CEO of a big company mm-hmm. and wanted to see psychopath wanted to see if there's a correlation between psychopathic behaviors and people in positions of power. Okay. Um so he he was talking to the CEO, he talked to some people at a psych he he talked to a man at a psych ward who pretended to be quote unquote crazy so that he could be put in a psych ward and not in prison. Mm. He was he was going to get like 10 to 15 years in prison or um, like five to 10 years at a psych ward. And he was like, okay, well obviously I'm going to go to the psych ward. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't crazy, but the psych ward deemed him psychopathic and insane and extended his stay to for, for life. <gasps> what? Um, and so, so now he's like, now he's like, he's like, I'm not insane, but I'm stuck here. And what? I feel like I'm, he's like, I feel like I'm going insane. And he, and he's like, no matter, like, they just say that because I'm not insane, they use that as evidence that I am insane. And they, and, and this guy, uh, the, the patient who was at the site, the ward, um, was talking about how he, like, no matter what he does, any, thing he makes any decision he makes is evidence towards him being insane and the reporter dude who's doing the ted talk like went to the staff and was like he doesn't seem psychopathic and they were like well yeah that's exactly why he's a psychopath because he doesn't seem like he is wow that's it was, a crazy it, it, story. it was just like it was super weird i recommend people look up um the ted talk it maybe it was a tedx so like yeah. technically not affiliated with ted or whatever but um uh you can just look at like ted talk psychopath i'm sure you'll find it. it the the host is some um some uh meek looking gentleman in glasses <laughs> wow well that's that's crazy man i don't know why but like when i think of um like mental institutions this is probably like a really bad stereotype that's been created by like media and stuff but when I think of like psych wards, I think of like Arkham Asylum, like the the people in that video game that are just all chained up and they're like screaming. Oh, 
Yeah, they're like violently crazy. Like one, yeah. They have like muzzles on their face and like things in there. Now I know it's a like over dramatized for a game, but in a lot of like films and yeah, stuff, yeah, it's also like um, expressionistic because it's Batman. But I know what you true, mean. True. Like I've seen, I've seen plenty of movies where psych wards are full of like are where they're literally like loony bins, right? Where it's it's like people who can't even function who aren't who are barely even human are there you know it's interesting i mean mean, they're like we've talked about this but there's like a a state hospital in my town that i live in that's like a mental facility and the people that are in there go for walks all the time and they're like the the nicest people ever and it's just like crazy how i don't know it's crazy how like um just like stereotypes and things that are like set up by uh, yeah. media can t- can totally skew your view of like certain things so um i don't know well, i think it's because it's so it's so easy to assume that that's like how everyone is in there right mm-hmm. yeah it, it's interesting to like actually look and see what it's truly like people who work in um places like yeah. that and stuff so anyway ed was released and he went back to live with his mother in santa cruz california where she moved after ending her third marriage to take a job with the University of California. While at the University of California, Kemper attended community college for a time and worked a variety of jobs, eventually finding employment with the Department of Transportation in 1971. So this is a really interesting side note. Kemper had applied to become a state trooper, but he was rejected because of his size. So like we talked about earlier, he weighed around 300 pounds and was six foot nine. And uh, the people called him Big Ed. You know, he called himself a big old bumble butt. So Ed actually it's... did hang around uh, some of the Santa Cruz police officers. One of the, the officers actually gave him a training school badge and handcuffs while another let him borrow a gun, according to um, Whoever Fights Monster by Robert K. Ressler. So Kemper actually even had a car that resembled a police cruiser. So I don't know what that was all about, but he he really wanted to be a cop. And, yeah, um, I guess so. I don't know if that would have changed anything if he actually did become a cop. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Let's, looking at the, where we're at right yeah, now, probably not. some of that, my guess is no. <laughs> probably not. So the same year, he actually began working for the highway department. So Ed had a motorcycle, and because he was so big, like he could barely fit on the motorcycle. He was just like a, it looked like a little clown motorcycle. And uh, apparently he was hit by a car, and his arm was badly injured. And he received $15,000 in a, a settlement against the the car's driver. So he wasn't able to work for a while and he had this money, so he didn't have to work. So he actually started doing things around the college campus where his mom worked to kind of keep him busy. And like, he legitimately didn't really do anything crazy suspicious during this time period. Like, and he'll explain in his interviews, like that he didn't, he wasn't even thinking about, killing anyone or doing anything. He had kind of put that all behind him or so he says. And he started to notice a large number of young women hitchhiking in that area. And so he bought a car with some of his settlement money 
And then he started having these strange murderous desires, but it didn't happen right away. It sort of slowly built up. So he started off, you know, picking up reg- like plenty of regular people, just like anyone who we found on the street hitchhiking, he would just pick them up. Um, but as he sort of do, started doing that more and more, he kind of had this like desire to pick up women, uh, especially young women who went to the colleges. And so I don't know. I heard I heard this thing on an, another podcast I was listening to, where they were talking about Ed Kemper and they, they were saying that he um, that this is sort of a common thing with serial killers is they'll give themselves like little allowances as they sort of build up to, to becoming more and more threatening. Um, so he, he would mean by allowance, like he would, every time he would like pick up a hitchhiker, he would like do one thing that would get him closer to being like a legitimate serial killer. Um, and that thrill sort of would like lift him to the next level and sort of the bar keeps getting raised of, of what, what that person is doing. So he was picking up hitchhikers, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the first allowance is, is picking these people up. And he, right. he, like he wasn't killing them or doing anything to them. He, he wasn't was killing just... them at all. So do we know what were these like steps that he was taking to ramp up? Sort of. So, so, so one of the steps was that he uh, eventually bought a gun and he started carrying that gun with him in the car. So the, oh, just the fact okay. that he so had these the gun are, was yeah, just like these a are steps step. that aren't like directly hurting other people, though. Right. So like they're not hurting other people, but it's it's it builds up. So for him, yeah, it's like oh, I'm you know this is like thrilling because now I have like yeah. control of a situation if I wanted to. Um, yeah. And then he bought a gun, a knife, and then he had handcuffs, and so he started sort of building this set of tools that okay. was with him in the car, which made it more and more possible for him to do something yeah as time went on and so if you guys will go to the next slide we've got a we, we so begins well this, this slide is just a reference to how big ed was yeah um but the next one with the two girls this begins the the co-ed killer arc of this story so excuse me had to i had a boip Oh, the burping. <laughs> the burping. No, the burping. So Ed picked up about like 150 or so people and would just let them go. Basically just kind of practicing his uh, hitchhiking techniques for picking up hitchhikers. So eventually he decided that he was going to go through with his, his secret desires here. So... He offered a ride to two Fresno, Fresno State students, Marianne Pesk or Pesky. I don't know exactly. I'm just going to say it's Pesk and um, Anita Luchessa. I'm just going to call Marianne and Anita. They would never make it to their destination. Their families reported them missing soon thereafter, but nothing would be known of their fates until August 15th when a female head was discovered in the woods near Santa Cruz and was later identified as one of the missing girls. So uh, Anita's remains actually were never found. Kemper later explained that he, um, that this is kind of the story of what happened to them. So 
he picked them up and he was driving them to a remote location. So they weren't supposed to be going very far. And he started driving somewhere kind of outside the area. Mm-hmm. And he pulled out a 22 caliber handgun from under his seat. And this is where it gets really messed up. He stabbed and strangled um, Marianne before stabbing Anita as well. And it's sort of, I didn't write all this down, but kind of the way it went was he took one of the girls out into the, into the woods and one of the girls he left in the trunk and he like stabbed her a bunch. And it's, it's, there's this interview with him where he explains like the, the experience of trying to kill this girl by stabbing her. And he's like, it's so creepy. He's like, it's not like what you see in the movies. They don't just die after you stab them. They wriggle around and, and they keep moving and they just kind of leak until eventually they stop. But I stabbed her all over and he like explains that he like and I know you don't like stabbing Jack. I'm sorry. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> he explains that he like stabbed her like in like the eye and like the neck and the forearm, oh, and, like all these places. The and she kept like moving. And, and so he, he states that like they were in shock and I'll read his sort of telling of this of uh this experience in a minute Uh, but basically to finish off the story uh basically he stabbed both the girls and murdering both of them and then he brought the bodies back to his apartment and removed their heads and their hands so kemper also reportedly engaged in sexual activity with their corpses yeah so i know it's pretty messed up it's pretty messed up i don't like it just imagine getting picked up by this no, guy. No. Hey, okay. I think I'm all set. I was going to say, where are you? I know. <laughs> I I'm all set with imagining first of all, it. I wasn't exactly sure what you are about to ask me to imagine. No, I'm not I'm like, imagining I'm not that. To imagine. I don't want to imagine <laughs> that at I don't, all. I don't think there's anything I need nope. to imagine. Nope. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's fucking crazy and wild. Oh my God. Horrible. It's, it's insane. And so one interesting thing is that after all his practice, Ed actually developed like these uh, things that would sort of convince people to get in if they seemed if they thought he was kind of sketchy and so one of the girls that he picked up in this first murder was actually like no we shouldn't go with this guy he's sketchy like he like i'm an experienced hitchhiker like he he's not trustworthy and the other girl was like no it's fine and so one of his techniques uh was that he would like look at his watch and be like come on i don't have time like indicating that he had somewhere else to be. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. This guy was like fucked devious. up, but it's smart. So the the girls would be like, oh, he's, hey, he has somewhere to be. Like, he's in a rush. He's trustworthy. Obviously, he's not going to kill us. He's, he's got somewhere to be. He can't kill us. He's got no time. Yeah, he has somewhere to be, like, in a remote location where he's going to stab you. Oh, God, it's messed yeah. up. Yeah. So, yeah, these, these two girls um, were murdered. And, again, he, he basically... Killed one of the girls so that she wouldn't have to see what she what he was doing to her friend. So the same thing with the grandfather and the grandmother. Oh, like why he separated them. Probably. Yeah, he separated them and then he was like, he actually killed one of the friends out in the woods and then came back to the other one and was like, your friend isn't like cooperating with me and I broke her nose. I think she needs help. Can you come help me? And I guess he he basically said that the girl was like, um, in such shock that she didn't really understand what was going on. 
Um, and so like he just dragged her out of the car and, and started stabbing her anyway. So this is I'm actually going to read a quote from Ed. And this is I just saw this in my research and I thought it was so interesting. I'm going to do my best Ed impression. Um, but here we go. OK. She turned completely over to see what the hell I was doing, I guess, or to get the back to get her back away from me. I stabbed her once in the stomach, in the lower intestine. It didn't have any effect. There wasn't any blood or anything. There was absolutely no contact with improper areas. In fact, I think this one, I accidentally, this bothers me too personally. I brushed, I think, with the back of my hand when I was handcuffing her against one of her breasts. And it embarrassed me. I even said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that. She was, she was pretty cognizant of what was going on, and it was getting pretty messy in there in the back seat. She turned over on her back stomach, and I continued stabbing. I don't know how many times I stabbed her. I'm trying to think. I usually checked something like that, you might say, almost comparing notes, and in this case, I didn't. I did with Anita, because that really amazed me. With Marianne, I was really quite struck by her personality and her looks, and there was just almost a reverence there. I didn't even touch her really too much after that. That is, other than to get rid of physical evidence, such as clothing and later the body. Anyway, she was across the back of the seat with her head down towards the door, towards the space between the front seat and the back seat, and I don't think the bag was on. She had shaken it off, because he was trying to suffocate her. Just to step in here. I'm Bobby again. Mm. Okay, now I'm back to Ed. (laughs) She was crying out a little louder. I kept trying to shut her up, covering her mouth, and she kept pulling away. And one time, she didn't. And it was like a cry. And I could have sworn it came out of her back. There were several holes in the lung area and bubbles and things coming out. Ugh. This is disgusting. Oh my god. And the sounds shook me up, and I backed off. At that point... She turned her head to the back of the seat, and she called her friend's name. It was slow, not loud. That was the last thing she said. She wasn't passing out at that point. I don't think, at that point, the full impact of what had happened had really hit her. She was in shock or something. I felt I was getting nowhere. Not that I was getting any kicks out of stabbing her, but hoped that one would do it. When it got quite messy like that, I reached around and grabbed her by the chin and slashed her throat. I made a very definite effort at it, and it was extremely deep on both sides. She lost consciousness immediately, and there were no more vocal sounds anyway. I'm so sorry you guys had to hear that. That's so weird that he um, didn't want to touch her inappropriately. Yeah, he was intimidated by her. Like, he I was legitimately he, I assume he, I assume he raped the other... Did he rape these either one of these two? Uh, it's basically he allegedly did, but there isn't any like real proof. And I don't think he actually said if he did. Um, but basically the the whole idea with Ed is that he, he takes the heads and, and sort of sexually assaults, um, the decapitated heads after he kills them. So I would assume if he did anything, that would be it. And, and I guess he got like a sexual thrill out of just decapitating them in general. So yeah, it's pretty dark stuff. And I think that we should take a quick break 
and then we'll come back and we'll listen to Ed talking himself about this situation because it's I couldn't find the actual interview of him saying that, which is why I did my terrible impression. But hearing him say it is another level. This one's not as disturbing, but the way he says it is with such ease, he's talking about something like it's like your everyday activity. Um, so we'll, we'll show that right after this break. And we're back. So we've had a minute to recuperate after that horrifying quote. Um, and now we're going to listen to some more stuff from Ed Kemper. So let's, uh, let's roll that footage. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Can you say how many people might be doing crimes like you were doing? It would be a guess, but it's not. It's far more than 35. It isn't that impossible in this society. It happens. Are there more people? They didn't give up. Uh, how he, many? she didn't give up. I did. I came in out of the cold. And what I'm saying is there are some people who prefer it in the cold. Good people see. A nice guy. Did you like Kemper? I like Kemper. You were able to appear like an ordinary person, non-threatening to... I lived as an ordinary person most of my life, even though I was living a parallel and increasingly sick life, other life. One victim let me back in the car. I locked myself out. She opened the door for me. My gun was under the seat. What in the hell am I doing telling you that? Am I looking, am I, am I a masochist? Am I looking to be tormented further? I'm trying to show you just how awful this got, how commanding these rages got. I was raging inside. There was just incredible energies, positive and negative, uh, depending on a mood that would trigger one or the other. And outside, I looked troubled at times. Other times, I looked moody. Uh, other times, perfectly serene. Not very sane. You were involved in the campus because your mother worked there? Yes. I was also involved in killing co-eds because my mother was associated with college work, college co-eds, women, and had had a very strong and violently outspoken position on men for much of my upbringing. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. Why did you actually kill the girls? My frustration, my inability to communicate socially, sexually. I wasn't impotent, but emotionally I was impotent. I was scared to death of failing in male-female relationships. I knew absolutely nothing about that whole area. Ironically enough, that's why I began picking people up. And I'm picking up young women. And I'm going a little bit farther each time. It's a daring kind of a thing. At first, there wasn't a gun. I'm driving along. We go to a vulnerable place where there aren't people watching, where I could act out. And I say, no, I can't. And then a gun is in the car, hidden. And this craving, this awful, raging, eating feeling inside. I could feel it consuming my insides, this fantastic passion. 
uh, it was overwhelming me. It was like drugs. It was like alcohol. A little isn't enough. At first it is. And as you adjust to that, psychologically and physically, you take more and more and more. It's the same process. So it finally came down to the thing of, do I dare bring this gun out? Already realizing if that gun comes out, something has to happen. It was going to happen. I didn't see it then, but it was going to happen. I was playing a dangerous game with a loaded gun that got us all. So what'd you guys think of that? Oof. Um, it's it's super weird. <laughs> even at like, like even uh, in comparison to other serial killers that I've heard of, it's weird. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's... I was just gonna say, he's completely like self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say he 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 talks about it like he's like reading you like his novel about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, like he speaks about it like this like almost like poetic way that's like weird and like unnerving because it's like so calm. But he's like my fantastic passion yeah. and like it sounds like he's talking about it like it's his muse or something. It's like very un. It's oh yeah, it's yeah. crazy. That's not now. It's not the first time I've seen. I've seen the full version that yeah. Bobby. I know that's like an edited down version. Yeah, I cut but I've that seen down. like the full version. A full version of that. And yeah, it, it's it's something. I mean, it's yikes, really yeah. interesting that he knows that his desire to kill women stems from his fear of not being able to talk to them sounds like freaking mm-hmm. gamergate people and like incels almost in a weird way and that, it's a little bit incel except it like i mean obviously it's much further but still it's like crazy. well it's much further but it's also it, it, at the same point not as far yeah because he he's not like because incel like i i think one of the basis is to be classified as an incel is thinking that your lack of, of, of a romantic life is not your fault. Right. He right. seems like he understands that it's because, like, he seems to understand that, like, that he, that the, he, he almost is, like, admitting it's his, his own shortcomings with women. Mm-hmm. That it's not, that it's his fault and, or, or his, um, I mean, he blames his mother, like, kind of. He doesn't, like, he doesn't, like, say it's her fault, but he, explains how the way that his mother acted has caused him to think this way which like if i'm being honest like i would blame his mother too it's like kind of reasonable like his mother you know would say that he's not good enough to get a girlfriend and his mother would keep him separate from his sisters all the time and i feel like it's probably a combination of like blaming his mother and like his mental illnesses because obviously a lot of people can can experience their mothers being up their butt about stuff well, like that. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not I like I just think it's weird that he's aware of it. Right. Um, definitely. Yeah, no. I I know what you're you're trying to say, yeah. Jack. Like obviously like it's Ed Kemper's fault that he killed those people because yeah, 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 yeah. he's the person who killed them, but to understand his psychology that like his mother definitely played a huge role in Yeah. Yeah. It's like when um you'll see like uh, like ex KKK members will talk about how they were, you know, indoctrinated and raised in this life and about all like the beliefs they used to have. And now like they can look upon it with hindsight and be like, yeah, it was horrendous, but I've moved forward. It's like, it's almost like, it's like that type of vibe almost from this. It's very, it's very intriguing it is. to be honest. And that's what's so interesting about Mindhunter when, when the actor who plays Ed Kemper kind of portrays him in this way, it's so 
interesting to hear this intellectual explanation of someone's psychology in, in coming from the source of, of someone who admits that they were doing something evil and also having no remorse for it at the same time. Like, I don't know if the, mm. in this interview section that we just listened to, there was a part where he was talking about how it's like, it was just getting so bad to the point where I couldn't help myself. He's almost like admitting that he knows it's bad, but at the same time, avoiding it completely avoiding well, saying he's a, it's bad he's addicted to it he he describe mm-hmm. he he compares it to drugs yeah. or alcohol and you kind of see um, what i was talking about with like the um the allowances right as he's sort yeah, of like yeah. now i have the gun now i'm practicing with the gun but i'm not taking it out and every time he would just go one step further and so yeah. this progressed and and so he he continued to murder different hitchhikers so in september of 1972 he picked up a 15 year old named uh aiko ku who met the same fate um and decided to hitchhike instead of waiting for the bus to take her to dance class um so she met the same fate as the first two girls and then in january 1973 kemper continued to act on his impulses picking up another hitchhiker named cindy shal who he shot and killed and i believe uh there were a couple of hitchhikers uh, I think this might be the next one. Um, but I'll finish this one first. So basically, while his mother was out for Sidney Shaw, Kemper actually went to his mother's house to hide Shaw's body in his room. Um, he dismembered the corpse there the following day, and he threw the parts in the ocean. Several days later, the um, parts were discovered when they washed up. But this is one weird thing about Ed Kemper. He... Of all his victims, uh, or I think starting with this one, he actually started keeping the heads. So he would dispose of the body, but he would keep the heads. So he actually took this this murder victim and buried her head in his mother's backyard. Hmm. On February 5th, 1973, Kemper used a campus parking sticker that his mother had given him to facilitate a double murder. So he drove to the university where he offered a ride to two students Uh, Rosalind and Alice shortly after picking them up he shot the two young women on campus and then he drove past the campus security at the gates uh, with the two mortally wounded women in his back seat so they actually stopped him and and he convinced them that they were drunk and he was driving them home so after these murders Kemper decapitated uh, both the victims and he dismembered the bodies. Then he disposed of their parts in different locations. And uh, I guess in March, they were, the remain, remains were discovered by hitchhikers near Highway 1 in San Mateo. Um, and so, basically, this leads us to our next section. Past, uh, so so it's, the la- it's actually the last slide here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Kemper's mother's murder. Wait, so. Oh, okay, so we're not at we're not at April 28th, 1973 yet. This is pretty close to that. Okay, so because well, I, I assume based on this mugshot that he was. 
Yeah, yeah. He, this he was is, caught in on April twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three. Yeah, accidentally actually the the slides are reversed, so it should be that. Oh okay. <laughs> um, oh okay. Yeah, okay. my bad. So in April nineteen seventy three, Kemper committed what would be his last two murders. On Good Friday, he went to his mother's home, where the two had an unpleasant exchange. Kemper attacked his mother after she went to bed, first striking her in the head with a hammer, and then cutting her throat with a knife as he had with his other victims. And then he decapitated her and cut off her hands. Um, yeah, there's some stuff I don't even want to read here. It's so messed up, but basically mm. he, he sexually assaulted his mother's head. Yeah. Um, yep. And so after hiding his mother's body parts, Kipper called his mother's friend, Sally and invited her over to the house. Uh, Kemper strangled Sally shortly after she arrived and hid her body in a closet. I don't know what that was about. The next day, Kemper fled, uh, driving east until he reached Colorado, where on April 23rd, he made a call to the Santa Cruz police to confess his crimes. So (laughs) at first, they actually didn't believe that Big Ed was a killer. Um... But after interrogations, he would lead them to all the evidence they needed to prove that he was the co-ed killer. So the co-ed killer was um, known at the time. Like it wasn't yeah. obviously they didn't know it was Ed Kemper, but people were like the co-ed killer is out there. Mm-hmm. And so the story kind of ends uh, with his trial and imprisonment. He was charged with eight counts of first degree murder. And then Kemper went on trial for his crimes in October 1973. And he was found guilty of all charges in early November. When asked by the judge what he thought of his punishment or what he thought his punishment should be, Kemper said that he should be tortured to death. Instead, he received eight consecutive life sentences. And at present, Kemper is serving his time at California Medical Facility in Vacaville. Dang. And that's I, the story um, of Ed Kemper. I wow. recently yeah. learned the purpose behind giving multiple life sentences. What is it? Um, Because if they were if they were to give one life sentence for all eight of his murders, um, it's one sentence to argue. Whereas since he got eight consecutive ones, if he were to if he were to ever get out of prison, he would have to win eight like appeals, essentially, because you have to appeal every single count or like every single charge you were given. Right. And so the and so that's the purpose behind multiple life sentences is it to make it harder for um, you to appeal your way out of prison, basically. Ah, gotcha. Interesting. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So not a good dude. Um, and it's interesting to listen to his interviews because it's almost like he's he thinks he's doing justice by like explaining himself almost in a way. He's like, yeah, I mean, look at me. Like I'm explaining myself. I turned myself in. I did the right thing. And now I'm explaining myself. Yeah. But it's almost like it's almost like feels like he wanted to get caught. You know, I think maybe um, this is my personal personal head theory is that because he says in that interview that he wanted his mother to love him Mm -hmm. um, and he wanted to love his mother. And I think that he 
I think he was very confused with his feelings towards his mother. And when he, I think when he killed her, that was ultimately like the last straw. I think he probably called his mom's friend over. Um, I bet he like, he probably was just so distraught after killing his mother that he like, maybe he just needed to get his mind off of it. And maybe he was something. like, maybe it was either could have been that, that he was trying to like get his mind off of it by sexually getting a thrill out of killing his mother's friend or maybe he yeah. contemplated her helping him and then him turning himself in and then he changed his mind. It yeah. seems like he wasn't sure what he was going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. Cause there's no way that his last murder being or well, his second to last murder being his mother and then him turning people in or him turning himself in. Like there's no way that's a coincidence. Like they have to be like that. It had to have weighed on his mind in some, right. or some like way. The source of his murderous intent is gone now. So it's almost like me. Oh yeah. That's an, that's an interesting thing. Like he doesn't feel the like he's like, I, cause he doesn't feel the need to murder anymore. Cause now that he finally kind of got it killed out of his him. mother. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. in that case, do you think maybe the second murder after he killed his mother, do you think he was seeing what it, what it felt like now that his mother was dead? Oh, I think you might be onto something. Hmm. That would be interesting. Maybe, maybe he was choosing someone close to his mother because he wanted to see if it was in any way like a thrill. Maybe it was like, Oh, I, I could reach this high that is so high that it's like, I need to find something close it but i think he kind of reaches maybe he just maybe he just knew that this woman would show up too yeah oh i bet with every murder he did he probably thought about his mother the whole time and was like pretending that was her in some way and then once she actually was gone it was completely different Uh, yeah i don't think go ahead i was well this is gonna move off of ed kemper okay um, so a few things about ed kemper specifically yeah i'll just i'll just wrap it up with one final thing i guess that i just need to get off my chest and then uh we can move past it but there's um i'm not i didn't include this in the slideshow because it's so effed up i'm like i can't but if you if you google like ed kemper's mom like there's like pictures from the uh crime scene of like her decapitated yeah. head yeah i don't it's, have any desire i didn't look it up on purpose it just i was looking for a picture of his mom yeah, for the sure. for the thing and yeah. it came up and i'm like Ugh! it was yeah. disturbing that I, sucks i couldn't even I, I almost threw up and also this week i had a really rough week because i had to uh i had to i had to throw away a dead bunny that my dog mangled and it's just mm-hmm. is not a great never experience. fun and so that was the same day and i was just like oh this is not a good day did I ever tell you guys about the time my dog ate a rabbit hole? No. I think No? I thought oh, maybe. maybe. Well, Start telling the story. Maybe I'll remember. Oh, cool. So it was probably about a year ago. I think it was over the summer. But I was outside um, getting the mail or something. And my dad was like, Jack, come here. Um, Bella, my dog, has... He's like, she's got a chipmunk in her mouth. And I go over and I see this little, like my dad's like trying to pry her mouth open and she's got this rodent head in her mouth that I can see. Um, and I was like, I think that's a rabbit. I think that's a baby rabbit. And my dad was like, Oh yeah, you're right. And so he managed to pull it out of her mouth and 
the thing was all mangled and like it it was like a few seconds maybe moments even where my dad pulls it away from the dog and just like instantly she jumps grabs the rabbit back and just swallows it faster than anything what it was absurd and so i i'll sometimes refer to my dog as the ravenous beast now <laughs> um it, it was changes crazy. the way you look at your dog doesn't it at least yeah. a little bit i mean my I know mom it's has but well, because we have um, those chickens. The ducks are massive now. They're practically full grown, by the way. Really? These ducks, these ducks, right. well, so they're, they're, they're pekins or pekins. I don't really know how to pronounce P-E-K-I-N. But um, these, this specific breed that we have is for um, meat purposes. So they grow to full size really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like almost full grown. Like they basically just need they're like real feathers and then they're all done but the chickens are still very small so my mom um has been very clear with the dog Mm. that if 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 she eats any of the chickens or the ducks that she is in for it (laughs) um Uh, but the point i was gonna make earlier point sorry to to, to get off of uh that's gonna move off of ed kemper is i um i wonder if it's either because we have a better support system as a culture for um, mental illness and, and, and trauma and things like that as to why we see less um, serial killers. I have a theory. M- my other theory okay, is give that your other theory. Yeah. My other theory is that it's just, it's, it's, it's much harder to be a serial killer now with all, with the advancement in like criminal investigation technology and stuff, um, which, which goes into my second theory part B, which is, <laughs> Why I think that um, mass murderers are like the the quote unquote thing now. I yeah. think I think serial killing has translated into mass murdering um, because I I think it's I think it's hard to be a serial killer because I think you could get caught really easily. So instead, they just do a bunch of murders all at once. You ever wonder if um, maybe they just don't get caught anymore? Like at all, like maybe all they the just, good ones. Maybe they're just smarter now or something, and they just don't get caught. Um, or the the smarter no. ones that never got caught just kept doing it, and we never found them. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe we only think that serial killers are formulaic and have patterns because those are the ones that get caught. Because mm. because because like you see it all the time. Every time a serial killer gets caught, it's because it's it's because of the pattern. Their the pattern and the formula. Um, and you're like, why don't they just like kill people who are unrelated to them or kill people who don't follow a pattern? And it's because, well, like, obviously that's what a sane person would think. Mm. And so these people aren't sane. Um, but maybe it's because the really good ones are doing that and just not getting caught. I sometimes I think about like, uh, the, the possibilities of this and, and cause I do wonder with, with mass murderers and like shooters it doesn't feel like it was translated from serial killers because a lot of serial killers especially when they were really like prominent in this country yeah it was a lot of them were sexually like inspired i guess like to do this and and i've never seen anything about a mass murder that's like that did it for sexual pleasure it's just because they have some kind of weird motive um well Well, there's been a mass murder about um when we talked about incels, what was his name? Eli something. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember his name, but he's sort of like the the guy who sort of sparked sort of like the incel mass murder sort of yeah. movements. He had the um, um, he had a YouTube channel where he was like yeah, his manifesto. Yeah, he was yeah. like, "Girls don't talk to me, so I'm gonna go kill everyone." That right. well, I guess that's not that's more like, but it's it's more retaliation. Yeah, I would say this the mass murder stuff tends to be more like a radicalization yeah. of some form yeah. that leads to so it's usually motivated by either some sort of political stance or like some yeah, sort point of like to make Yeah, as part of like some sort of group or group mentality as opposed to like a more sort of personal psychological Fantasy. expression as much as like yeah, a, a it point. is sort of like a expression of like a viewpoint like from more of like i get like a terrorist sort of radicalization as opposed to like acting on dark urges that are like you know yeah maybe maybe the culture of the time has just forced people like i don't know the course of the time it it, maybe it just doesn't allow uh allow uh people tormented people or or, or psychopathic people people who think this way Mm. um maybe it doesn't allow them or they feel like they have to express that desire and frustration in in, in an explosive one shot thing, as opposed to sort of a slow burn thing with serial killers. It would be, I mean, obviously there's no way to know, but it would be an interesting thing to. Yeah, and to I, I think maybe just what you're getting at there, Jack. Maybe just like sort of like the evolution of sort of like these like internet communities that allows like people to find a place to sort of have their voice I don't know, heard, like fought. Yeah, or like sort of find community in sort of yeah. these dark feelings allows it to become something that's more about a movement mm-hmm. in quotes or like a yeah. ideology as opposed to just like a personal to- torment yeah. or personal struggle. It's like community, you know, like they, you know. Yeah, well, because you could have you could have the people who 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 are suffering like this finding a group, a community where they feel a part of, and then being like, "Finally, people understand me." Yeah, and then there's the other side where um, where groups are just are just fueling each other's feelings even more. Right, Ex- right, exactly. And I could see how that would maybe come out as you know more of these mass murders is rich but it's a very interesting point i'd be very curious to see if like some long-term studies can sort of yeah that'd be really interesting delve into that more so we can really understand like why that is i don't know there's a lot of factors to consider and another possibility too is that that we haven't talked about yet is just like cell phones and being connected to so many people like it's hard to you know even what like we're seeing with um like the the black lives matter movement like it's getting harder and harder for things to happen without people seeing it, you know? Yeah. In this world today, it's like you can't get away with a lot because everyone has a camera. Everyone knows where you are at all times because we all have yeah. like find your friends on iPhone and it's it's kind of crazy. Dude. So that could even me too, you know? What's even crazier to me is the fact that um was it to yesterday, June fourth. Is June fourth Tiananmen Square or is it June fifth? I think June 4th. I think this was yesterday. I, I don't remember, but because it, it, I think yesterday I was seeing some tweets being like commemorating, you know, the time that peaceful protesters stood up in the face of China 31 years ago. Yeah, and they did it, they and did it like, again. Re- yikes. <laughs> um, the, w- 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 I'm talking about it's very it's very surprising that that 
there were there were protesters who were gathered in Tiananmen Square um, protesting against what happened and China's censorship of it, which is insane because there was a video. There's a video on Vimeo um, that was posted a few years ago, maybe even like it might even be like 10, 15 years ago where this video was created. But um, it's a man who's in Tiananmen Square on June 4th asking people, do you know what day it is? Um, and everyone just avoids the question. People, yeah. I, people either are like, um, no, I don't know. I, uh, like so many people, like you can tell, like they'll be standing there, like, cause this person probably asked them if they could be in the video, ask them a question, whatever. And the person will just instantly be like, oh, I have to, I have to go. I have somewhere to be and just leave. Or some right. people will be like, oh, is it June? What's it? June 5th environment day. <laughs> I guess June 5th was environment day in China or something. It's donut day today. Yeah. Oh, happy donut day. Yeah, I did not need that free donut, Duncan's, this morning. I did not need that. (laughs) Hey, but you still took it, Bobby. I took it. I took took the bait. (laughs) Wow. I saw a thing. What's his face? Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. What's his name? Kevin Leary or whatever. Couldn't tell you. The bald guy, um, right? Yeah, yeah. His name's Kevin something. Um, He says that coffee is one of the biggest scams in the United States. Is it not actually he, addictive? It's one of the... No, 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 not that. It's that coffee is one of the most marked up products, like, ever. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, oh, sure. I mean, I yeah. make my coffee mostly at home now because of working from home and everything, so yeah. definitely saving some money on that front. Well, you sure. think about it, if you get, you know, like, a $3 coffee and maybe a $2 donut or something, like, that's $5 a day. That's adding up. That's, you know, 20 bucks a week. Listen, if I, bucks had, a week. if I lived somewhere warmer, I'd have my own coffee farm. Because all you got to do is pop the, the nuts, take them out, That's and not roast even, the seeds. No, 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 Bobby. I'm, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking it's way, like, you save way more money, like, just buying, like, roasted coffee beans that you put in a grinder and make yeah, your own yeah, coffee. Yeah. No, I, I do that all the yeah. time. I love making my own. Um, yeah. I actually still have, like, a shit ton from you, Brent, that you gave me yeah. from, like, last year. Yeah. I'll- all that Starbucks coffee beans, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I know we, we're still going through that shit over here. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Yeah. Oh. <sighs> back the Christie's oh. short stint at Starbucks. But yeah, I mean, that whole Tiananmen Square thing, I was finding it amusing. Cause like a lot of like news outlets were sort of sharing like 31 years since the day that those brave protesters stood out there and peacefully protested, you know, the oppression of China communist dictatorship and sort of like the irony of that mm. when like, the coverage of you know the peaceful protests that are happening right now is just all about yeah. like oh this this protest turned into looting and rioting and like completely ignoring that you know the police driving in with tanks and oh, it's all about and all that fun stuff did you see the boston yeah. massacre post that's been going around yeah i, I retweeted oh, that shit I think, yeah I, that's probably why i saw it it's so good i don't know what i don't know what this is it's uh give me one second i'll i'll bring it up and we can uh kind of go through it it's i oh, mean okay. it's so good it's great it's great because, like, it's sort of, like, really, you know, speaks to sort of, like, the mindset of people who are, like, just, like, will not, you know, take what's happening seriously or, like, oh, yeah. treat it like it's, you know, this, like, ridiculous, radical or thing. people who are, like, but, very um, proud of the country and the way that we were founded and always constantly are, like, right. our forefathers were amazing and they fought what they believed in but aren't right. on board and with so, this. Right, so the tweet the tweet is like, holy shit, did you hear what happened in Boston? Hashtag blue lives matter. And then there's like two images. Did you hear what happened in Boston? An unarmed teenage boy was hit in the head with the butt end of a firearm during a nonviolent verbal exchange with law enforcement, a law enforcement officer. 
Word of the incident quickly spread, and within an hour, several people gathered in the area to peacefully protest. They shouted slogans, and business owners in the area closed up shop for fear of their property. The law enforcement officers called for backup, and backup arrived in the form of heavily armed law enforcement personnel. They then declared the assembly unlawful and ordered the protesters to disperse. The crowd in response grew restless and hurled dirt claws at law enforcement. Law enforcement responded by firing into the crowd. The first man killed was a black man. If, while you're reading this story, you find yourself thinking that law enforcement was in the right and that the protesters should have dispersed, then congratulations, you have fallen onto the wrong side of history, siding with the tyrant King George III against American patriots. Uh. The incident occurred in 1770. Uh, The black man killed was Cypress Attucks. (laughs) The incident became known as the Boston Massacre and was one of the key events leading to the American Revolution. Take note. I loved that because it's like you're reading it and you're like, oh, my God, you're like thinking of it in terms of today. And then just yeah, like, yeah, no, this is I mean, for me, the thing is, like, for me, I'm reading that and being like, yeah, the police shouldn't be firing on people. But there's so many people out here on the Internet being like, well, people just listened to the police and dispersed and didn't protest and they wouldn't get begin beaten or shot right now. Yeah. And it's like the same well, people who don't want big well, government. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the same people who are like waving the flag and being like the constitution, America, whatever. Also America when it's convenient for me, but like <laughs> when other people are trying to also get America that these people seem to think they enjoy, it's like, shut up. You know, I saw a tweet so, that so was extreme. like, that was like the phrase, this is a free country. Um, mm-hmm. has become so desensitized in America. Like, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you what, watching, uh, rewatching Childish Gambino, this is America music video right now, it's more powerful uh, than mean, ever. I mean, that music video made me cry the first time yeah, I watched I it, but now, now I like really, <laughs> yeah. that, oh, it, well, it's, it's I'm, a deep, I'm actually, it's a whole other thing. I would, I would actually <laughs> argue that, um, like, that america basically listened to this is america you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. well because I, I i always interpreted the point of the song to be like all of this horrible stuff ha- like um this horrible stuff happens and then um like media and 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 everything and and everyone just generates all this like good stuff to avoid the horribleness but i feel like people at least with this one um i th- i can't remember if i had actually said this earlier or if i just was thinking it i think i did say it but um with the oh no i had said it just to bobby i think before brent got here um but it it sucks that i have to say this but the previous riots around police brutality um died down way too quickly and i feel like finally people are fed up with it and now they're not letting this issue die um right which is like and again really inspiring to see yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact, and also just the fact that, like, we keep referring to these things as riots and not protests yeah. that turn into riots because of, again, pr- police brutality. It, it's a trick. It's a tricky thing. I, I feel like we have to try to, like, be cognizant of, like, how do we refer to it? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the media portrayal is to try to make it seem like it's just rioting, riots, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which, like, just sort of discredits, like, what people are trying to do here and makes it seem like it's just this, like, anarchy or whatever, not people protesting for their right to live and then you know you know police forces being used as like a military arm to oppress people's 
freedom, First Amendment rights to freedom of assembly and peaceful gathering and protest. It's the little things. things it's call, it's right. calling it a protest and not jump like clumping it all into one word that's riots that can give a negative connotation. And it, it, it's, it's a tough thing because like with local media, for example, like which I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have been having conversation with family matter members where like that's the only way they hear news mm-hmm. and local media and police departments work very closely together. So they naturally are going to, and some on some level, whether you like it or not, be more favorable towards Dude, the police you, view on this because they have a working relationship with them and have you know reason to not maybe just show it for what it is, you know, because that would affect their working relationship with a lot of these departments. Yeah, you know? I mean, particularly particularly in the big cities and stuff where this has been the most prevalent. Yeah, you know, like in neighborhoods where the black communities are the ones being the most affected. You know, obviously some of the smaller police departments, you've even seeing like a lot of police departments that like maybe aren't and as diverse areas being able to stand up and be like, we're against this. But it's like you also don't aren't dealing yeah. with this on the same level are not the ones actively oppressing people. So it's it's easy to be like, yes, we stand with you when, you know, you're not in these direct situations. But sorry, Jack, you were trying to oh, say something. Um, I was just going to say that, um, well, I hate to, I do hate to say it, but like, you know, Donald Trump is somewhat correct when he, when he, when he, when he calls out fake news. He's just not, mm-hmm. he's not entirely correct about you know what's fake and who's fake sure and where but, he's coming right from. like all you need to do is if you can if you go on youtube and look up um local news amazon script you can find yes, you can find thing going yeah, yeah 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 it's 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 been around because um local news stations just all like almost were like by almost word for it i mean like 99 percent of the words are 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 the same where they're right. all reporting this story that was very obviously written by a corporation presumably amazon because the story's about amazon um right but you also see i mean there's this one particularly egregious group they called the sinclair group that yes the a lot sinclair of group news day. they also did a very similar thing where like also doing talking a lot of like conservative or like trump like talking points where like there was a very similar video that went around but just like i forget the exact context but it was basically like sort of like a pro-conservative pro-trump thing mm-hmm. and they were all basically you you had again like like hundreds of different like stations reading the same story and the word for word from all these different news acres that like presented something a world event that was going on in a very sort of like trumpian viewpoints and so like it's insidious i mean and it's you, you really gotta sort of pay attention to yeah. those sort of things because like yeah i know again trump he does this thing that i feel like a lot we see a lot right now in sort of like modern conservatism which is to accuse the other side of the thing that you are actively doing yeah so it's like the fake news that's happening right now when it's like yeah that's coming from fox news and these the sinclair group but you know point the finger at the other side while you do the thing that they're saying you're you're saying that they're Uh, doing you know i would especially like especially with the way that media is and the news is and how corporate controlled everything is i would highly recommend um if anyone hasn't to read well you might want to read 1984 first but you don't have to Mm -hmm. um but there's a book called doublespeak by william lutz um and he explained it's basically just a book explaining the concept of doublespeak and different types of it and if you don't know what doublespeak is it's 
um, people describe it as lying without lying. It's saying two things at once. Um, an example was used. There was a like an explorer group um, go, who was going to the North Pole. Um, in the official report of what happened, uh, some tragedy happened. Their boat uh, broke down or something. But um, they described the crew was forced to participate in protein interspecies protein reallocation, which is cannibalism. And so, like, that's an example of double speak. Another one is um, there was there's a tax called the estate tax, which is mm-hmm. um, uh, a percentage of your will assets, value, whatever. This is super simplified, but a percentage of your of your entrusted th- uh, your will is uh, is subject to be taxed. And so in order to get people to not want this tax, uh, people just started calling it the death tax um, because it's technically mm-hmm. a tax because you technically get taxed when you die. And so people went from being like, oh, the estate tax, I don't even know what that means to I don't want to get taxed just for dying, even though that's not exactly what it is. Um, but right. it just once you understand the concept of doublespeak and the different types of doublespeak, you can look at. Um, media and official uh, statements uh, through a new lens and you can really um, help to understand what they're saying and judge for yourself how much you want to take from that um, I just have yeah double speak is a it's a great book I highly recommend it yeah no that that's actually really interesting I would actually be really curious to check that out um, I get another thing um, if people want to check it out if we're just giving like media recommendations to sort of like educate yourself right now there's um this netflix movie called the 13th that i think everyone should watch about sort of like the 13th amendment which was the amendment that abolished slavery but like in the case of people being imprisoned they can be used as basically slave labor that's like the only exception wow and so that's sort of created this system of like funneling black men into prison you know from school into prison in a lot of communities to sort of basically like maintain the slave labor working force legally. And so I think it's definitely anyone who's like listening to this, who like wants to educate themselves more on like systematic oppression within our country, please go check that out. I'm going to check it out. sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have strayed very far from Ed Kemper now. Yeah. But it's hard. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure, like, the rest of you, this is stuff that's just, like, on your mind constantly right now, as it should be. Mm-hmm. I guess the last thing I'll leave us off with before we give our plugs and everything is, you know, stay vigilant, keep fighting that good fight, and but also make sure you take time when you can to recharge and maintain your own personal mental health. Because mm-hmm. something that is very serious, too, is um, something called crisis fatigue. Mm-hmm. And with everything that's going on right now, it'll be very easy for any of us, you know, to burn out. And kind of just like accept, you know, some incremental victories and kind of just like be like, well, good enough for now because yeah. I'm exhausted. I can't keep fighting this fight. So make sure you take whatever time you can, you know, to also enjoy things, recharge your batteries because this is going to be a long haul, people. Like, I don't see this just like going away overnight, yeah. you know. So good point, Brent. Good point. Everybody right. recharge so their batteries. Be vigilant. Yeah. Be vigilant, but also take care of yourself, your mental health. Like on an airplane, so. uh, you put the when the oxygen drops from the ceiling, you put it on yourself first before um, you help others put it on. So make sure that your oxygen right. mask is on you're, first. You're, you're no good. You're no good to anyone else if you can't take care of yourself. Exactly. So. Very well said. So. 
Wow, guys. So let's get those pluggy plugs All in. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned it before. Um, what, I can't even remember where plugs. we where we um, when Sorry. we talked about it. But um, if you want to get in contact with us, um, I know my mother loves to do this. And oh, yeah, I saw her email she sent us the other <laughs> day sent, about that NPR thing. Yeah, an NPR thing <laughs> about how like if you're measuring from the center of the Earth, um, Mount Everest isn't actually the tallest mountain. Um, but if you measure from sea level, it is blah blah blah. Um, or no, 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 it's not that. It's it's if you measure how close they are to space, um, uh. which is because Earth is actually egg shaped because when it's it's spinning so fast that the center actually bulges out. Anyway, yeah, yeah. um, brainboggledpodcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. My mom sends yes. m- love tons of emails, and as much as I love reading emails from my mom, um, we would also <laughs> like to hear from uh, a lot of our other fans. Um, so if you don't want to email us, um, cause everyone's on Instagram and Twitter these days, you can DM us on those. Uh, our Twitter is brain boggled pod and mm. our Instagram is just at brain boggled. Uh, check us Yeesh. out on there. We post weekly memes and, um, it updates if we ever, uh, feel the need to do that. So that's where they would be. Um, uh, Bobby mentioned yep. earlier, our website, brainboggledpodcast.com. Uh, there you can find mm-hmm. our brain blog or bloggled, uh, where, yeah. uh, we were, we reference a lot of images in this, uh, episode. You can see all the images there. You can see, um, links to all of our other, uh, forms of social media there as well. We have our store there, Whoa. um, which has I some, nice merch which really helps support us um if you want to support us and maybe you don't um have you know 20 30 dollars to spend on a t-shirt for as little as one dollar a month on patreon um you could you could pledge there um and in exchange overpriced coffee yeah Mm. and for a whole month one dollar a month that's that's if you can afford that um and you do like our podcast i would recommend you check it out we have multiple bonus episodes that can only be accessed if you're a patron so uh Mm. if you're interested get on and check those out i don't want to i don't want to force anyone i know some people you know not everyone can afford everything so do do what's in your means if you feel the need to it helps it helps keep the lights on. It helps us be able to continue doing this despite the pandemic mm. and all the other craziness going on mm. in the world. So yeah. every little buckaroo helps yeah, us I mean, out. Shout so out to our patrons we have currently who are supporting us. And yeah. we wouldn't be able to do this without you guys because we have microphones yeah. that we can use from home to do this safely. So thank you guys. You know, yes. You're the best. And yeah, uh, one last thing I wanted to plug real quick. If anyone has any favorite moments from Brain Boggled History in our 59 or 60 whatever episodes we've done, feel free to please let us know what those are by emailing us or commenting on our Instagrams. Because I'm running out of ideas for brain cartoons. I got <laughs> for brain computer. cartoons. I got this new computer and I want to make more, but I ran. I can't find he any funny stuff. He can be making crazy. He can render things in five yeah. minutes now. Yeah. In 4K. <laughs> Listen. Buku cartoons, baby. Listen, we're just not funny enough, okay? So try to find right. parts to make us funnier. Thank you guys for mm-hmm. listening to us. Um, for two stay hours. Safe. Yeah, for two hours, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, safe, stay, stay safe out there. Take care of yourself. Take care yes. of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Lives Matter. True. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We love Peace. you all. We love you. Bye. Peace. Love. <laughs>